What I want you to do is try and remember what it was like to be a little child of six or seven years old when those imaginary worlds you conjured up in your head were just every bit as real as the world around you. The comic strip Calvin and Hobbes is ostensibly a simple tale of a little boy and the stuffed tiger that he thinks is real. But it's also a testament to the power of a child's imagination as Calvin creates extraordinary fantasy worlds in his head. That is English comedian Phil Jupitus in a piece he produced for BBC Radio celebrating the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes. 30 years ago, on November 18, 1985, in a small strip of newsprint somewhere in the United States of America, a six-year-old boy named Calvin walked up to his dad and said, So long, Pop. I'm off to check my tiger trap. And with that, began the 10-year run of the comic strip by American cartoonist Bill Watterson. One of the appeals of Calvin and Hobbes to many, and certainly me, is that it harkens back to our youth. It brings back memories of stuffed animals, life in the suburbs, playing in the snow, childhood friends, life at school, and an immeasurable love of dinosaurs. Calvin and Hobbes is about childhood, mischievousness, innocence, exploration, and curiosity. I'm curious what makes you so curious. Although most people would probably say that they know what it feels like to be curious, and even be willing to give a definition of it, the truth is that the more you learn about curiosity, the more you realize how little you know about it. Which is actually quite perfect. He's so smart he doesn't even remember what he knows. In 2012, the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, Manufacturers and Commerce in the UK, also known as the RSA, published a white paper called The Power of Curiosity. It states, in academic literature there is no agreed definition, and even in dictionaries it seems impossible to convey the meaning of curiosity with a single phrase. Curiosity is not a one-dimensional construct. And in scientific circles the breadth and depth of theories suggests great curiosity on the subject, and yet little conclusiveness. That said, though perhaps academically and scientifically debated, few, if any, would debate that curiosity is a critical component to growth and success. In addition to setting a boy and his pet tiger off on many adventures, throughout the history of mankind, curiosity has been a driving force behind developments in self, science, culture, and industry. And some even suggest, as we would agree, that it helps shape who we are. Here is Josh Clark of the Stuff You Should Know podcast in their How Curiosity Works episode. If you think about it, curiosity is is going out and gaining experience. Right. And a, a lot of our identity is the experience that we've gained, the, the knowledge we have, the intellect we have. It's what makes us interesting to other people, yeah. right? So, uh, and because curiosity is different in every single person to varying degrees, to the different type, each person kind of helps mold their own identity through their own curiosity. And so while we don't have any misconceptions of nailing a definition or construct in this episode, we did want to explore curiosity and stay true to one of its pillars, which is that curiosity isn't about finding answers. It's about asking questions. And so to you, the listener, we pose the question, how curious are you? To ourselves, we pose the same question. How curious are we? And to each of us, we ask, how do you define it? How do you measure it? Could one believe they are curious and discover they are not? 
Could curiosity be something different than you think? Have you lost it? Well, gentlemen, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we are joined by Lulu Miller, the co-host of NPR's Invisibilia, as we go on an exploration of curiosity. We announce live events in New York and Chicago, and Nick and I tell you what we're digging this week. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. So what is this thing called curiosity? Where does curiosity come from? Well, as it turns out, there are a ton of theories and frameworks that grapple with that question. So of those numerous theories, we chose one to help us enter this conversation. In the early 90s, George Lowenstein of Carnegie Mellon University developed what he called the information gap theory of curiosity. Here is Ian Leslie, author of the book Curious, sharing Lowenstein's theory at a 2014 RSA event. Curiosity is generated when you face an information gap. When you know something, but you know that you don't know everything. And this makes you want to know more. And so contrary to some theories that curiosity is a solo intrinsic drive, Lowenstein's theory is telling us that curiosity does not exist in a vacuum. That it depends on at least a piece of knowledge that acts as a tease, as bait, and this piece of knowledge is like a map pin that says you are here and provides you with the reference point necessary to identify the gap that exists. And in recognizing these gaps, we are then propelled to close them. So, for example, you know nothing about, <laughs> it doesn't matter, let's say it's dog food. One day you read an article or you see a social media post or you catch part of a documentary on dog food, something that makes you think, what? Wow, well, that, that's interesting. I had no idea. But while the information you get is just enough to interest you, it also creates more questions than answers. You are left wondering, well, why is that? And so driven by this question, you begin your exploration of the subject. You set out to close the gap between what you now know and what you want to know. Hey, dude, why don't you start worrying about what I feed my dog and worry about surfboards or whatever it is you think about. Now, while sometimes these gaps are simplistic cravings for something new or different, or momentary itches to be scratched, like, dare I say, clickbait headlines. Headlines like, you won't guess how one ingredient from your donuts could be leaving thousands homeless, or the thing this four-year-old is doing is cute. The reason he's doing it is heartbreaking. What Ian Leslie is more interested in, as are we, is epistemic curiosity. Later in his RSA event talk, he defines this as a deeper, more enduring curiosity driven by effort, self-discipline, and focus. So epistemic curiosity is, is the lifelong quest for knowledge, for learning, the desire not just to find answers, but to explore new questions. Epistemic curiosity enables us to build our knowledge bases and to make connections between the knowledge we have, leading to new ideas and discoveries. Daniel Berline was a British and Canadian psychologist and philosopher. His research focused on how objects and experiences are influenced by and have influence on curiosity and arousal. 
His work believes that curiosity is a motivational prerequisite for exploratory behavior. Otherwise said, without curiosity, there would be no exploration. And speaking of exploration, to further this exploration of curiosity, we decided to reach out to someone we see as expressively curious. Many of you likely know Lulu Miller as the co-host of the immensely popular NPR podcast, Invisibilia. And I'm not kidding when I say immensely popular. Invisibilia reached its first 10 million plays in less than a month after it was released in February 2015. What you may not know is that in addition to being a science desk reporter for NPR, former Radiolab producer and current co-host of Invisibilia, Lulu has also been a great friend and fan to where there's smoke. Earlier this year, the day before my birthday, she gave me the best gift I could have asked for when she tweeted, quote, where there's smoke is like getting hit by a freight train of ideas and experiments, unquote. And as you will hear in this clip from our conversation, in some ways, she sparked the curiosity in me that started the adventure of this very show. And then I realized like just a month ago that you were like, you were like my first, like really my first touch point into all this because how I got into to Radiolab, which in turn got me into podcasts, which in turn got me into audio storytelling, which in turn got me into the show was that, you know, a few years back, I was, I decided to do a triathlon. And when I was training for it, a friend of mine uh, pinged me and she's like, oh, you have to listen to this episode of Radiolab. And she sent me the Limits episode. Limits. And I oh listened to it. And so it's the first podcast I ever listened to and the first Radiolab episode I ever listened to. And I mean, out of all the stories, I mean, the one that grabbed me was the guy's, the bike race, you know? Yeah. And I didn't realize that was you. <laughs> that's so funny that was you which is so crazy oh, so awesome. like you were like my yeah you were like my my foray like you like you like was grabbed your, my I hand was your and gateway drug? Me. you were my gateway drug into into podcasting into audio storytelling and all of it i love that i love that preparing for my conversation with lulu i found several themes coming up as i read and listened to other interviews she had done and thought about my experience of her through her stories over the years I put these themes into words and I shared them with her. Very early on, like a few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever it was, when I first started thinking about this, having a conversation with you, I wrote down four words. And the four words I wrote were adventure, explore, curiosity, and discovery. Oh, I like those words. Yeah. And then I found myself kind of trying to put them in order. Like I was like, oh, okay. So like we're curious, you're curious about something. So you decide to go on an adventure, which takes you on an exploration and then you discover something, right? Do you feel those words fit for you? Adventure, explore, curiosity, discovery? Yes, I do. And I love one of my favorite parts of being a radio person is that for some odd reason, wearing headphones and carrying this goofy mic around like gives you access to be a modern day explorer. I had this feeling in college, even though I guess that should be a time of opening. For me, it was a time of like creative closing down in a weird way because I think I felt really intimidated all the time. Like I never felt small, smart enough in classes. And I just like, I felt suddenly like, oh my God, is adult life just you bite your lip unless you're an expert? Like, and then I discovered the world of journalism where you get to be a professional amateur slash idiot slash whatever. And 
And then I was like, oh my gosh, the microphone is this badge that suddenly lets you go anywhere and it lets you go into all these worlds you would otherwise not be allowed in purely because you're saying, I don't know. But I remember very early on, right when I was getting into radio, I heard this story on This American Life by a producer named Mary Beth Kirshner. And I think I got the sense she was like kind of, you know, like a young mom, but like mom age, like maybe mid 40s or so, maybe 50s. I don't know. And she was doing this story about a a limo driver in Vegas who every night would like win a thousand dollars gambling and then and then, or like make a thousand dollars driving his limo and then lose it all gambling. And he was just stuck in this cycle of like making money and losing it every day. And it was this great piece. And she rode around with him at like 2 a.m. as he was picking up guys who wanted to go get strippers. And like, and I was like, God, when I am a 50 year old mom, I really want to still be in the back of a limo driver's car at 2 a.m. every now and then, like continuing to see the world, you know? And I think adventuring and exploring is something I want to always be able to do. This statement by Lulu, to always want to be adventuring and exploring, reminded me of something said by experimental philosopher Jonathan Keats in a video for the Knowledge Forum Big Think. He talks about the pursuit of one's own curiosity not being dependent on any special training or aptitude, saying, So I think that what is needed are amateurs in the true and old sense of the word, people who are in it simply out of their own interest, pursuing their own curiosity. And this is how I see Lulu. Though she has created a career out of her explorations, that career does not appear to be the driver for it. As she stated, she gets to stay an amateur, knowing there is so much she does not know and asking questions for a living. Discovery also jumps out at me because I think I'm always looking for, I want those moments of the world is not what it seemed because everything can feel so flat and so known. And that's kind of one of my like worst feelings. Like just everything is just like, I know the world. And so moment of discovery where, where the world does not work as you thought it did is always a really exciting, happy moment for me. And so while earlier we discussed curiosity as a means to bridge a known gap, here Lulu is highlighting a shortcoming of that model, which is that curiosity can often be displayed even in the absence of new or unfamiliar situations. It can exist as a desire for them. As psychologist Jordan Littman wrote about in his 2010 paper, Curiosity and the Pleasures of Learning, curiosity can also exist in wanting and liking new information. As I connected the dots for this episode, I found myself contrasting Lulu's words with something in humor called the incongruity theory. German philosophers Immanuel Kant and author Schopenhauer both backed this theory as being based on surprise and creating laughter when an incongruity exists between what we expected and what we perceive. And yet Lulu here is talking about the opposite, where things are as they seem. And so perhaps it is understandable that instead of laughter, this creates one of her worst feelings. And so at this point in our conversation, Lulu addressed that all-important fourth word, curiosity. And if you haven't gotten it by now, this was the word that in many ways I was most interested in. Because curiosity was what I had already decided the show was going to be about. 
We were going to talk about curiosity and its power to fuel exploration, creativity, and innovation. And I thought this was a perfect topic for Lulu. But what she said is not what I expected. Curiosity is almost like the thing I'm always trying to remind myself to be. And I think I'm horrible at it and like it's, I'm always trying to get better at it. And it was here in our conversation that I had a two by four moment, as I call them, which is this feeling that I just got hit in the head by a two by four piece of wood. Only that two by four is an idea. In this case, a realization that in an interview intended to be about curiosity, I may have not been being curious at all. And when we come back from the break, Nick will join us. Lulu will be back and we will explore this question. What does it mean to be truly curious? Hey everyone, Brett here. Just a few short notes. So I'm in Vancouver right now, and tonight we have a launch party at the Roundhouse Radio Studios. I'm going to be interviewed live to air at 7 p.m. Pacific, and they'll be broadcasting our What's the Meaning of Life episode. If you're in Vancouver, come out to the party. There'll be food, wine, and an in-house talk by me as well. If you're not in Vancouver, you can stream it live at roundhouseradio.com, and every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Pacific time, you can hear an episode of Where There's Smoke on Roundhouse Radio. You can stream it, or you can hear it on the radio in Vancouver. You'll also hear myself and or Nick talking about the episode, kind of a behind the podcast kind of thing. So tune in every Tuesday. Now, speaking of live events, we have two coming up in early November. We are doing meetups in both New York City and Chicago. Tuesday, November 10th in New York City and Thursday, November 12th in Chicago. Now, these are a big deal. First off, Chicago for sure, it'll be Nick and and I. So this will be the first official Where There's Smoke meetup where both Nick and I will be there. And there is a possibility that Nick will also be joining me in New York City. So Tuesday, November 10th, New York City, I will be there. Maybe Nick. Thursday, November 12th in Chicago, both Nick and I together for a Where There's Smoke meetup. As far as details, they're going to be coming out in the next week or so. For now, if you're in one of those cities and you want to come out and hang out with Where There's Smoke listeners, hang out with Nick and I, block it off your calendar, and stay tuned for details on social media or through our mailing list. Now, be sure to keep listening to the show after Act 2, because first of all, I got a very special apology to make. And second of all, you can find out what Nick and I are digging this week in the appropriately titled WTS Dig segment. Now let's get back to the show. Before the break, in my conversation with Invisibilia co-host Lulu Miller, I asked her about four words. Adventure, explore, curiosity, and discovery. And I admitted that though I saw all four as relevant to who she is and her work, I had come into the interview with an intention to do the deepest dive into the word curiosity. But I was surprised to find out that Lulu doesn't think of herself as curious. People who are truly curious, Elise is one of those, Jad is one of those. I mean, I see them and I admire them and I try really hard to be like them, but I think you open yourself to the little tangents. You you kind of like, you don't just have blinders on wanting the goody, the answer. Mm. You also hear all the other little things they're throwing at you. And it's like remembering to kind of go into a zone where you shut off your own wants and your own cravings 
and really hear the things people are saying. And I think I'm horrible at it and like it's, I'm always trying to get better at it. At this point in the interview, I found Lulu's words echoing in my head. And I realized that I was being that person. I had come into the interview with an agenda. And that agenda was causing me to perhaps not be truly curious, to not fully listen. I was guilty of wanting the goodie. Brett, don't be so hard on yourself. This is just confirmation bias, something we discussed way back in our Don't Jump episode and something that we both know is easy to fall victim to. That's true. So for those of you who missed that episode, first, you should go back and listen. It's pretty good. And second, we're going to bring our old friend Wikipedia back to define confirmation bias for us. Confirmation bias is a tendency to search for, interpret, prefer, and recall information that confirms one's beliefs while giving disproportionately less attention to information that contradicts it. Okay, so what does confirmation bias have to do with curiosity? Well, when we enter into a new environment, it is perfectly normal to bring with us our own expectations or our own understanding of a given situation. Sometimes the shortcut actually does get us pretty close to an accurate understanding of what's going on. Like, if you're an expert mechanic and you hear a car making a specific strange sound, your knowledge of what makes a car sound bad will allow you to skip a ton of information gathering and you can just go right to the root of the problem. That's easy. However, if the gap between our knowledge and what we're experiencing grows too large, then we run into some problems. To help illustrate my point, it's time to blow your mind with some science. <clears throat> Almost everybody has eyes. Really, Nick? Okay, wait, just let me finish, Brett. Let me finish. Hold on. Okay, so if you have eyes, which most of us do, you have a blind spot. You probably know this. At the point where your optic nerve connects to your eye, there's actually no visual information being relayed to your brain. So in theory, we should all be walking around with a black dot in our vision. But most of the time we don't notice it because our brains are excellent at filling in that dot. It's actually pretty amazing. Our brains take the patterns and colors of the immediate surrounding areas and just seamlessly paste it on top of the blind spot. Now usually this works really well because our blind spots are small and it's unlikely that the area around it is vastly different. But sometimes, when people have damage to the optic nerve or some other visual impairment, suddenly our brains don't know what to do. Research suggests that the larger that spot gets, the harder it is for the brain to accurately fill in that gap. So the brain starts to just fill it in with something. It's a phenomenon known as Charles Binet syndrome. Now, according to the late Oliver Sacks, who actually experienced some of these visions himself, most people will see geometric shapes, patterns, colors, Others will have more unique visions. The vision she had could be disturbing. On one occasion, she said she um, saw a man in a striped shirt in a restaurant and he turned around and then he divided into six figures in striped shirts who started walking towards her and then the six figures came together like a concertina. So as the information gap grows larger, like our blind spot, we're more likely to put incorrect information into the picture. See what I did there? And the information that we throw into the gap is going to be largely informed by our own understandings and experiences. In your case, Brett, it was your definition of curiosity mixed with impressions of Lulu through podcasts and interviews. It's the classic confirmation bias. So to be openly curious, we have to identify our own biases before we even start. Otherwise, they'll influence how we perceive everything 
else. I think that's a very good point, Nick. But that leads us to another point. How do we enter into a situation authentically curious? How can we better keep our biases in check because we can never fully eliminate them? Perhaps we can look to a concept in Zen Buddhism called Shoshin, meaning beginner's mind. The idea is to let go of your preconceptions and have an attitude of openness when studying a subject or entering into a situation. With that attitude, the beginner is freed from our ego's desire to always be right. As renowned Zen Buddhist teacher Shuanyu Suzuki says, In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. And so here are some strategies to practice this. When you enter a situation you've seen many times, ask yourself, what is it that you don't know? When executing a task or running an errand, slow down and take it one step at a time. Take a moment to notice how heavy the door is as you pull on the doorknob. Look closely at who's around you and find one thing you haven't noticed before. Let yourself learn how to do something you already know how to do, but in a different way. And most importantly, ask more questions, especially ones you think are stupid. For most of us, this will take a lot of work, but it's going to be worth it. The benefits of this are both in your ability to truly connect with people, as well as to experience so much more out of the world around you. And don't you feel like people who are really curious, whoever they may be in your life, like I'm not even talking about reporters, they're so easy to be around because they yeah. can just, they can, they hear you, they can pull interesting out of anything. Like, I, and I think there's just other people that you can be around who are truly curious. And then, and then it's like the world is infinite. It's just always exciting. At this point in the interview with Lulu, I decided to drop the agenda. I feel like I got more present. And Lulu and I spoke for another 45 minutes about life, the universe, and engagement photos on white horses. I asked her about what drives her. What is the indestructible in her, as Kafka calls it, which she herself described in an interview with the Timbre as the thing that lives inside of every human that must be listened to. I think it's craving more. It's, it's the antidote to the flat, scary, oppressive, everything is known feeling. And I think it's like less curiosity, how does everything work? And more craving there being these occasional sparkly gems that show me a universe that is less dull and horrible and known than I think. It's like, it's almost like a desperation. <laughs> like it's, it's a panicky hunger. It's like, please tell me the world is a little more magical than it is. I kind of like that Lulu thinks she's horrible at being curious. Because for me, it's evidence that it means something to her. And when I asked her, what's the greatest gift in this internal drive for her? What's the biggest thing it's given her? The thing she is most grateful for because of it? She said this. For me, it's just before every single interview, I get nervous. I get so nervous and I just get this feeling of like, I want to do anything except this right now. <laughs> like, um, I just always have this like fear, weirdly, of encountering someone else. And then after 
every single interview, I feel elated. And I think it's like the gift that this has given, that, that like in general the act of exploring gives me is that like each and every time your world, like the universe gets a little bigger, it gets a little wider. And it is scary to leave your comfort zone. And like, I feel so lucky that my job forces me against my will to like leave it every day, you know? Cause you come back like with a new thing to laugh about or a new way to just get a handle on things. I think it's just, it's like, yeah, it's salvation from the horrible inside of my head. That's sort of my selfish thing that I get out of it. It has been said that curiosity gets you out of your comfort zone. Fear keeps you in it. And as Jim Carrey said in his commencement address at Maharishi University of Management in 2014. Now fear is going to be a player in your life. But you get to decide how much. You get to decide if the decisions you make in each moment are based in fear or are based in love. Curiosity is a love story. And a love story takes courage. But through that courage and curiosity, you will be able to explore a variety of concepts and make connections that you might not otherwise make. Perhaps this leads you to some new technological innovation that changes the world. After all, Albert Einstein once wrote, I have no special talent. I am only passionately curious. More likely, however, is that your curiosity will seep into you and make an impact on your daily life and those around you. Maybe you'll be more productive. Maybe you'll understand your partner better. Maybe you'll experience new things or old things in a new way. Or maybe if you direct that curiosity inward to understand your hopes, fears, regrets, motivations. Maybe you'll learn to love yourself or forgive yourself. And so perhaps the message of this episode can be best summed up by the same comic strip that opened it, Calvin and Hobbes. In their final comic strip, published almost 20 years ago on December 31st, 1995, we see Calvin trudging through deep, fresh snow with his trusted tiger buddy Hobbes behind him, carrying a toboggan uphill. With the exception of those two, the entire panel is completely white. Even after 10 years of exploring, Hobbes looks out at the snow and says, everything familiar has disappeared. The world looks brand new. It's like having a big white sheet of paper to draw on. Now at the top of the hill, they both sit on the toboggan. In the final panel, Calvin turns to Hobbes. And as they zoom off over the snowy hills, he proclaims to his best friend, It's a magical world, Hobbs, old buddy. Let's go exploring. Hey, everyone. This is Brett. This is Nick. 
So first off, we just wanted to send out a real uh, genuine and authentic and heartfelt thanks to Lulu Miller, uh, not just for being a guest on the show, but for being a friend of the show. As I said in the show, she tweeted about us back in March where when nobody knew who we were and she's just been, she's become a great friend. And, and as, as Nick, as you know, I have a little bit of a human crush on her. I think she's uh, just an awesome <laughs> human being. So, Well, and as a way to repay her for all of her generosity, I think that uh, the Where There's Smoke listenership should really just, like, listen to her show. I mean, it's really hard to get listeners for a podcast. True. And they have a good show, and just, like, no one's listening. So no. if we could give them the Where There's Smoke bump. So just yeah. go to iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, look for the show. It's called Invisibilia. It's really good. We're going to vouch for it. Invi- it's like a Spanish word, Invisibilia. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, so, so just y- go do that, and that, I think that would be a great yeah. gift for I think her. that would be our give back, right? If we could help Lulu kind of boost her show, that would probably be the best thing we could do to say thank you yes for sure all right now brett we have some unfinished business we have to attend to this goes back months <laughs> and uh, i'm taking no responsibility for it but i think that you owe someone or something an apology well it's it's probably a someone but i, I don't know off the top <laughs> of my head who that someone is that's true um, so i will say it's a something I feel like I need to apologize for a statement I made that uh, might have been a bit hasty. Yes, we know that's the MacGruber theme, but have you heard the MacGyver theme? It's this lame 80s synth track with no lyrics at all about how awesome MacGyver was. I mean, not even one mention of diffusing a bomb with a paperclip. Not one. That was something in, I, I said in an episode at the end of season one where I basically put down the MacGyver theme song. Yeah, you did. You were you were really hard on it. And when I edited this, when I was editing the script, I was like, man, he really came down on the MacGyver theme. But I think we were like in a rush. So there was like, it wasn't a fight I was going to have with you. No. <laughs> I, as like um, a protest, like put in a really long stretch of the theme in the show. And then apparently it crept in. Well, not not only did it creep in, but really from the moment I heard that show, I've pretty much been singing the MacGyver theme song in my head <laughs> on almost a daily basis ever since. And I got to say, when it kicks in, when it goes into that, doo, 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 I mean, I, I don't know. I, I get pretty excited. So, so <laughs> I feel like I went on a first date with somebody and I thought they weren't that interesting. And now I'm in love with them and want to marry them. So MacGyver theme song, I'm sorry. Awkwardly, we're going to transition into WTS Digs. We had too much to do in one segment. So for those of you who are new, WTS Digs is our segment where Brett and I share with you the movies, books, TV shows, music, whatever, that have captured our attention and inspired us recently. Now, Brett, you're in Vancouver this week getting ready for our big live event at Roundhouse Radio. And what are you digging while you're over there in Vancouver? So my dig is actually something I've been using for about a year and a half, I think. And it's actually not even in the categories you just named because it's actually an app. 
Oh. Um, but it, it's been so prominent in my life in the last week that I wanted to mention it because this is truly something that every time I tell people about it, I say, this will change your life. Uh, and the app is called Pocket. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, mm-hmm. Nick. But, um, you know, if you anyone out there ever had the situation where, you know, you're constantly get, reading things, you're getting articles, people are posting stuff on social media, and you're opening stuff up on your phone, you know, and you've got like 17 <laughs> windows open in Safari on your iPhone because you don't want to forget to read that article. Well, right. what Pocket is, it's an app where basically you just click one button and it saves it to Pocket. And then all those articles are in Pocket. And not only that, but they're offline. So what I do is before I get on flights, I just update my Pocket on my iPad. And every article that I've saved for the last you know X amount of weeks is on my iPad, whether I'm on Wi-Fi or not. I just wanted to give it a big shout out. It's getpocket.com. I'm telling you, if, you've, if you don't use this and you're a reader, and you're a researcher and you're a curious person, this app will change your life, no exaggeration. So, wow. Nick, what about you? What are you digging? Well, you know, Brett, I, I really wanted to avoid talking about a TV show this week because, let's face it, I love television. And I'm really going to be tempted to name a TV show every week. But there's just so much good TV. And really, frankly, this show is so influenced not only in the content but also stylistically by television shows that I'm going to make no apologies and uh, I'm going to recommend a show this week that literally I was laughing so hard I had to stop the show, which I don't know if I've ever actually done before. Uh, it's a show on Comedy Central in its third season. It's called Nathan For You. Are you familiar with the show, Brett? I am. He's Canadian. He is Canadian. That's right. Uh, and it's in his third season. And Nathan Fielder claims to be an expert in turning around businesses. And while all his ideas are, are clever, they don't always fit into what you'd find in a business textbook. And I don't actually want to spoil anything because the reveal is also why it's so funny. But you may have heard about the show when he did Dumb Starbucks, like a like a parody Starbucks, and just put the word dumb in front of everything. And uh, the show can be very uncomfortable. I literally have to watch with someone else in the room. <laughs> So, uh, but if you can make it through it, it's hilarious. So the first two seasons are on Hulu and the third season is on Comedy Central right now. And it's called Nathan for you. Right on. So as always, we love to hear what you're digging as well. So hit us up on social media. Let us know what you're digging. Use the hashtag WTS digs. And we look forward to hearing from you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I was going to say, where's the close? Where's the sign off? Are you ready? Are you sure? Let's do some shout outs. iTunes reviews, Grum Chum wrote, it's like getting a weekly peek at the owner's manual for humans. Oh, so that's how you do that. Marnie Spicer from Sydney, Australia called us the best podcast around. Domesticated Man said some silly, but sound. Anteater called Choices our best episode yet. Wawa Weeweye put us in rotation with Radio Lab, which is one of the greatest compliments you can give us. And Yee Shawsome declared that where there's smoke, smokes the rest. This podcast kicks some serious tail and will surely have people talking. Thanks as well to Lil J90, Ju Loon, Danny Johnson, Joel Borges, Father of 10-Year-Old, DJ Mac 24, Rock Wallaby, and China Badabonia. We got a couple of fantastic Facebook messages from Michaela Kiner and Bethany Moon. Thank you. And Twitter love this week. Some OLs on Twitter. At Annie Wood, at Mark Bussey, at Laurel Swenson, and some first-time tweeters about the show. Nick Burke, at Ann M511, at Word Corrector, and at Man Bear Geek, who tweeted, using the road not taken and the BTTF analogy was surprisingly elegant. 
Where There's Smoke now has its own Twitter, at ExploreWTS. And you can find its creators at Brett Gaida, that's B-R-E-T-T-G-A-J-D-A, and at Podcast Monster. Also join us on Facebook, search for Where There's Smoke. Where There's Smoke is an adventure and exploration, curiosity, and discovery that is written, edited, produced, performed, and delivered by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. If you're interested in having Brett speak, train, or coach at an event or within an organization, send an email to brett at wherethersmoke.co. And did you know Nick is for hire? His company, Podcast Monster, will help you make your podcast sound awesome. Go to podcastmonster.com or send an email to nick at wherethersmoke.co. To get our newsletter and stay in the loop on all things where there's smoke, join our mailing list on your phone. Just text the word smoke to 66866 or go to our website at www.wherethersmoke.co. Our theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Additional music in this episode performed by Blue Dot Sessions, Lee Rose. Rosevere, David Mumford, Jazar, Broke for Free, Alec Fitch, and of course, Kevin McLeod. Being that this was an episode about curiosity, some of you out there might have been waiting for us to talk about the cat. Well, I am here to reward your patience. Hey guys, I want you to know I'm raising my reward to $50 for anyone who can help me find James. No questions asked. I killed your cat. I guess it wasn't curiosity after all. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week.